Right there, Mope City with Don't Understand, the shorthand out of Sydney. Smurz as well with I Don't Talk uh, About That Much. Plus a little bit of Crumb with Trophy as well. My name is Maya Billick. You're on Mornings and it's time to chat about movies. Welcome to Movies, Movies, Movies. Jen, Andre, it's been bloody onks. How are you both? Perfectly fine. Washed. Washed away. <laughs> Truly washed away. <laughs> Honestly, same. Yeah. Yeah, how are you? Missed you both. Oh, missed you too. It's so lovely to have you both in the studio. Shall we give a quick uh, five-word recap tease of what's on today? Five mm. words. Pals Verona screening, Oscar snubs, and... That's five. Art house chat. All right. Everyone count those words. Okay. Should we move into movie news? Yeah. Maybe we should. Or should we just not? We're talking about the Oscars. How much more <laughs> news related to the Oscars can we give away? Maybe okay. more. Let's find out. That's gossip. Movie news. That's gossip. Take it away. Sasha Baron Cohen was at the Lyric Theatre last night watching <laughs> Hamilton, famously nominated <laughs> for Best Adapted Screenplay. But in Oscar history news, two female directors are nominated in the Best Director category. It's the same two women that were directed that were nominated at the Golden Globes. That's right. Uh, two female directors in the I Best make... Director category. One deserves the nomination, the other doesn't. Jen, do you want to reveal? Chloe Zhao, which I'm going to make a huge apology for mispronouncing, like everyone else, the last name of Chloe. And Emerald Fennell, who I'm going to apologise for saying is the one who doesn't deserve the Best Director nomination. Uh But fabulous is Camilla on The Crown. Truly fabulous. Why do you think that? Why do I think that? Mm. You know, I think it because... Sometimes you just know when a film just directs itself in the edit room, and sometimes you see a film that someone has just put forth their director- directorial vision, and I just don't feel like Emerald has a directorial vision. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. No, uh-oh, I disagree. Uh-oh. I just think I'm the... scared. I'm scared. What have I done? I think the film is like suffers from Oscar bars mm. because the film could exist on its own outside of Oscar's bars and be the most amazing film that Laverne Cox does the most in a small role in, in effort, like effortlessly in a film. But the Oscar buzz loaded on top of it? Mm. I don't know. You know how Billie Eilish is um, famously awkward about all the awards that she wins? Yes. And there was that whole thing where she was really embarrassed to win the major prize of the Grammys two years ago. Mm. Yes. And she had the whole, I just didn't know how to react to it because I'm being put up against all these literal icons and I'm just Billie Eilish and I just feel uncomfortable being put in that spotlight. And she has that sort of, you know, quote-unquote humble attitude Fiona towards Apple. it. I feel like Emerald Fennell actually suffers from that, where she's being celebrated up against greats, but she doesn't have that same attitude. Maybe she does, I don't know. I'm just like, know when you're good, know when you're bad. Sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't. That's what is not the backbone of the Oscars. Okay, okay. They could learn a few things from me. 
I don't think carry on. Shut up. Um, carry on. Talking about good, the Bangara documentary Fire started the story of Bangara is and has been out. We've been off the air for a little bit. I cried for a good forty minutes in this movie. Go see it before it's out of cinema. Z- um, I did a double feature with about endlessness last week that I'm going to talk about. How would my low-grade depression react to the Bangara documentary? Honestly, you need it. Honestly. Really? this Just step out of the rain and into your own tears. I'm making it both your responsibility to get me out of my emerald fennel hole. Help me out here, you guys. What was I saying about her? How can we bounce back from that? You said, know when you're good, know when you're bad, I'm about, about the director of Promising Young Woman. Mm. You were talking about um, directorial nominations. Mm. And vision. Mm. Do I stand by what I said, or was I speaking out of my ass? I think the hot take would be she should win, because all the other films are a bit A24, straightforward. I've had 20 seconds to think about it, and now I have clarity. The film is nominated for Best Editing, and I truly believe that sometimes a film can be written in the edit room. And I think the editing in Promising Woman shows that Emerald Fennel had the goods, but not the directorial vision to bring it all together, so gave it to the editor, and the editor did a smashing job of stitching it. She got the best performance out of Jennifer Coolidge since Werner Herzog. This is true. Um, Okay. Also, the Snyder Cut of Justice League has come out, proving that since 2016, nothing has happened or changed. What does that mean? I don't know. It's just like, okay, so the Snyder Cut, famously, everyone knows this already, if you're a film bro, Snyder Cut was Justice League movie, Joss Whedon, who created probably the most abject piece of popular culture in the world that has ever existed, the original Marvel Avengers. Who's Zack Snyder? Brought in, was brought in to cut Justice League. We famously love Batman vs Superman. We think it's a masterpiece. And uh, sort of butchered this movie. It's come out four years later. His daughter, Autumn... <laughs> You've just said committed... so many different things, Jen. <laughs> Zack Snyder's daughter committed suicide while he was finishing post-production for the movie and he was never able to finish it. He's come and finished this four-hour mammoth film. It's not worth it. Don't watch it. But it is in 4 by 3 The whole film is in 4 by 3 uh, for four hours. And that has come out. Um, that's all I have to say on that. Also... In other news. In other news, Francois Ozon is making a movie with Isabel Adjani based on The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant, which is famously a queer masterpiece from, of German cinema from the 70s. And... I think that's where we're going to end today's rant. Hang any on. Qu- any you, questions, you've, Maya? You've called it the major laser of film culture. Yeah. Please elaborate. Andre? I just feel like I just feel like major laser is pick five people from around the world and just bring them together to make a DJ set and uh, get popular off that. And I feel like that's what's happening here when you bring together Francois Ozon, Isabella Jani to make a film about Fassbinder. You're just essentially randomly picking three famous icons from film history and you just put them in a room and saying, just make the magic happen. I know. This is kind of post-Costa Gavras, post-Suspiria culture, I think. Mm-hmm. This is Europe remixed. Damn. Well, what if I had some movie news for you? Oh my god, what is it? Stop. <laughs> Go. How do you feel about um, Marvel rerouting... I think that's the word I want to use. Uh, their headquarters for the next five years to New South Wales. Is that true? Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. Someone give me a job. Can we get runner jobs there? At Marvel? No, we don't want that. Do you want that, Jen? Well, we've got to get on that? the inside. You know what I mean? I only want it for the Cleopatra film, I've decided. Okay. Who's making that again? 
help me out here. It's no longer Angelina Jolie. It's now I think Gal it's, Gadot. I think it's Patty Jenkins actually. And talk about Gal Gadot's acting for two seconds. Do the impersonation. Oh my Do gosh. your Gal Gadot impersonation. Okay, to clarify what Jim was saying before, Justice, <laughs> Justice League is a superhero movie that features Gal Gadot. There is a four-hour cut of it that Zack Snyder made, and it's four hours because Gal Gadot <laughs> speaks so slowly. She is so slow at delivering her lines. I want to say, Gal Gadot, please, just... When you're on set, just put a little earpiece in your ear and have 30 Rock playing so you can just speed up your dialogue because you speak too slowly. And on that, we are going to jump into some Manu Crooks. You're on Movies, Movies, Movies here on Mornings. Please be gentle on the text line. <laughs> Jenna and I are fragile white gays <laughs> <laughs> and are digging our own holes, so... Speak for yourself. Speak for myself. This one needs a language warning. It's called Fall Apart. Drop us a, drop us a thought or any question on 0409-945-945. Take two. On mornings, you're listening to Movies, Movies, Movies. This is take two. Uh, a stop in the drive where Jan and Andre deliver two individual reviews of a film, series, anything with uh, music, uh, motion picture and dialogue. <laughs> and we're going to kick off with yours, Jen. What is the name? About Endlessness. Give us a little... Give Teaser. us a little something, yeah. It's a quiet, slow, dark, funny Swedish movie by Roy Anderson. All right, okay. Is he Swedish? He's famously Swedish. He's Swedish? Why did I think he was more Made a film called A Swedish Love Story Once. And we're going to jump into a little taste right here for you. Är det inte fantastiskt ändå? Vilka tår. Allt. Allt. Allt är fantastiskt. Jo, jo. Jen, could you momentarily translate? I was going to ask you to do the same thing. I'm like, can you see what they're saying here? Um, I think from memory, he's just saying this is fantastic. This is fantastic. Yeah. All right, take it away. For the price of seven IKEA veggie dogs, you can go see insurance ad and existential video artist Roy Anderson's new film about endlessness. The Swedish master of normcore existentialism is back with more tableaus than the first draft show. Lana Del Grey, misty Scandinavian lit scenes of men at the music business conference. It's this kind of like depressing, long Eurocore movie, but it's it's medicine and it's mainstream art practice in cinema because he releases albums, not films, really. Every single film Roy Anderson has made is the same. It's exactly the same. It's essential sexless scenes that play out in miscellaneous, softly lit Eurogothams. A waiter overfilms a wine glass. A woman sprays a dead tree in a street, followed by a shot of a bombed and abandoned city like the Justice League just came through it, mirroring every boring tax return meets crucifixion nightmare that the rain falling down this last week has awoken in me. I needed this. I walked out feeling calm and centred, but also needed a big cry afterwards and walked straight back into the Bangara movie. Andre? Yeah, I feel like the feeling that you left after a Roy Anderson film, Roy Anderson is a very like slow, like you said, tableau-driven director of just very, very existential, quiet scenes. The feeling you get afterwards of bliss, 
Mm. but it's sort of like a low-grade depression bliss uh, mm. is actually kind of appetizing and underrated. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people write him off because he's considered boring or too stoic or too slow, but I find it so meditative. Mm. It's almost like he's inviting you to fall asleep in the cinema, which is the kind of film that I want to see. It's like walking around with your old iPhone-corded headphones after it's been raining and no one's on the streets. My one thing about Roy Anderson, though, is that I find that he'll present like a series of scenes and tableaus of like strange occurrences in like very normal locations so it'll be like the cafeteria scene or there'll be like the funeral scene mm. or the, the laundry shop the fish the fish shop or the laundromat and sometimes i think are these locations even that strange i know it's can a little bit like us... is inception a dream yeah can you actually take us somewhere that we've never seen before mm. and make that existential for us but i think that's his comment on ikea culture you think it's a capitalist edge you at think? 100% he made like yeah. 400 commercials and this is all based on like the depiction of reality mm. through the you know endless simplification of our living spaces uh, endless simplification of our living spaces to me that's like what I want to see in a film <laughs> so go see about endlessness it's only playing at 12.20 every single day at Dendi don't tell me why they only have noon sessions but that was such a turn on for me <laughs> <laughs> Love that. All right, let's quickly jump into this Bachelor Pad track and we're going to come back with Andre's review. Don't go anywhere. You're on Movies and Movies Movies. Octopus right there. We love Sydney music, arts and culture here on FBI and that is why you're listening to Movies, Movies, Movies. If we're not pumping Sydney music, we are pumping things to do in Sydney, including cinema. And now it is time for Andre's review. Oh, uh, no. Give us a little little tease. I'm reviewing Barb and Star go to Della Vista Belmar which is uh, the follow-up to Bridesmaids in terms of collaborators. <laughs> it's um, Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo who wrote Bridesmaids. They've come back. won an Oscar for it. They were nominated for an Oscar for it, and they... now they're back with a new comedy. It's a buddy comedy. And they're credited as the two producers of the film, but obviously there's like production companies that help them make the film, but it seems like the, the film is just them making it. Damn. Anyway, let's talk after this trailer. I'm Star. Short for Starbra. Assume yours is Barbara. Nope. Just Barb. <laughs> Plain old Barb. I want to thank Barb and Star for hosting tonight's Talking Club and for making their hot dog soup. I like the salt. I like the hot dog. It's not as runny as it usually is. Ah, what is she drawing? Oh, she gives me bigger tea. Love big tea. She loves big tea. Even if it's just two eyes on a bunch of tea. It would be so nice. Look, my new phone came. 
Love it. Oh my god, if you know anything about me, it's that I am not a Kath and Kim gal or a Muriel's Wedding person. I am an elitist pig who oh has no friends from preschool. And that's why it's now come to this, which is that I have to talk about a comedy that is fine. I think maybe it was the four hours of Ayn Rand that we watched beforehand, <laughs> Jen. <laughs> or, like I said, my low-grade depression. Maybe it's my staunch defence of millennial SNL, not 70s SNL, let's be honest. But we now have Bob and Star go to De La Vista Velomar, which is like a very nice Food Network sequel to like a Sprite and Hot Dog plane movie. Okay, it's actually called Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. I have to clarify that. But it's screenwriter stars Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo, who have, is, who it feels like have both seen the Scary Movie franchise, but also have kids and are also like buddies and want to make buddy comedies. And they also have the weight of an Oscar nomination. And they have to reconcile this by making a comedy about two silly Kath and Kims who go to Florida while a scary white witch plots to flood their tacky cheesecake club med with venomous mosquitoes which, as a subplot, is actually kind of funny. Um, and it also all starts after the two of them get fired from their cushy couch retailer job. Anyway, for me, it's like, on a scale of zero to Zoolander, Barb and Star rates a high nine and a half Austin Powers reboots. And while I want to have vitriol towards it, Jen also says to me constantly that an okay comedy is better than a bad drama so maybe I just need to accept that this is it and that it's actually fine but then I feel like there's also the common adage of sometimes film critics don't represent the film's community or who they're trying to speak to and there's this whole idea of I don't need to hear what one male critic has to say about you know A Wrinkle in Time and I'm like I am the audience of Kristen Wiig yet somehow I'm not getting on board with Barb and Star what's wrong with me? (laughs) But then also to quote my mum in the group chat today we love you all, always, and know that we accept each other's foibles, flaws, missteps, and occasional impulsive rants on the group chat. Jen, I think I need help with this. I know. This this movie is a little bit Adelaide Fringe, and we love it for it. You love it for <laughs> it. I'm so excited that Vanessa Bayer got her time to shine in a way that Kate McKinnon has been taking over a little bit too much. You know what I mean? Vanessa Bayer really shines in this movie. I think it's really hard when you watch people... When you watch really talented comedians from SNL do so-so comedy, because... Sometimes SNL is sort of a benchmark Mm. for how incredible dialogue, acting, and sketches can be. To then see them in like a main, like a lamestream big, big movie, it can kind of hurt your heart a little bit. This film really exacerbated the like three and a half year difference between our ages or four years, I don't know, because I feel like I grew up with high concept, high budget comedies of like Adam Sandler and Mike Myers, where everything has to be like a high concept joke with Dr. Evil. And you grew up with Bridesmaids and, like, Mumblecore, and this film is the earlier. So you're going to have to get used to the Sikh treatment and, like, mm-hmm. Las Culturistas in, like... You know what I mean? Like, it's the just, New York old scene right now wants money, and they just, want sets, and they want the set pieces. It's the difference between Melbourne and Sydney. You have people in Melbourne who are mean, and I love that, and people in Sydney who are nice, and I hate that. You have Bridesmaids, which is mean, and then you have Barb and Star, which is nice. It literally ends with them preaching this dogma about friendship. It is. I will say, like, in the way that Bridesmaids gets bad when the conflict starts, this movie gets good when the conflict starts, Mm -hmm. and the conflict doesn't last long enough. So I think people should just go see this because it's uh, Kristen Wiig, and people still have fun with Bridesmaids and uh, make up their own minds. Oh, and on that, we are going to go into a little bit of Santi Gold with Chasing Shadows. We'll be right back with a very special chat with Jade Valiantis to talk about 
the movie Where the Platypuses Live, her debut film premiering soon at Palace Verona. Don't go anywhere. You're on FBI. Right there, well, right here, is Doss with Poppy out of New York. We also heard from Keto with Van Jess and Channel Trez. My name's Maya Billick. We're on mornings. I've got Jen and Andre right here for Movies, Movies, Movies. And we've got a very special guest on the line, Jen, Andre. Who are we speaking to? Who, who are you speaking to? Oh, Yodos Jade Valiantes is joining us to talk about her debut film, where the platypuses live, which has some spooky camping energy, I think. Or maybe not spooky, maybe just weird camping energy. 
Uh, she's calling on the way back to Sydney from Wodonga, the other half of Albury. And uh, we're excited to present her because she's going to be showing this film at Palace Verona this Thursday night. You can go for $5 only. Jade, tell us about your film. What is the plot? Why did you make it? What is it? Hey, so the film is about two young women who enter this valley in search of the sound of the platypus. And um, it's just about all the adventures and the people that they encounter along the way. Um, yeah. Amazing. I think we got the sound of the platypus, as you were saying, the sound of the platypus. So <laughs> what is your process and who... I get the impression that you made this with no money, really, and that it's going to be shown to mostly friends and family. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about that kind of film culture and what it means to you to make films with and for friends. Yeah, so we basically made the film on no budget. Like, the money we spent was probably on, like, food, and that's about it. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a really enjoyable process because I had some really close friends and family help me out with it. And I think because we were such a tiny crew, everyone kind of got to try something new. Like, I had my friends who'd never sound recorded before, just like helping me out with that. And I remember I called up a friend the night before and I was like, hey, like we're making this film in the next couple of days and I've got this character that I haven't really got someone for, but like, we're gonna make it work. But if you can do it, like, that'd be great. And he was just like, yeah, I'm in, like, pick me up tomorrow, let's do it, so. How do you work with people like that? Like, how do you direct them? Um, I think for me, like being my first film, it was actually, really amazing because I feel like the less I did the better it was because these were people that I loved and trusted so much anyway and they were so willing to help me that I just sort of let their energies on screen almost be what they were. I think maybe the effort from my part was more in the construction of it and choosing the right people but I also think the the magic of the moment kind of just shone through in a lot of the scenes and and it was beautiful to just kind of let that play out. Oh my God, the magic of the moment, which I feel like is something that you can get when you're working this way with friends and mm. there's not really yeah, it was any really responsibility. Special. Um, so where can everyone go see it? So it's at the Verona in Paddington this Thursday night. And it starts at 5.30 and it's just $5 on the door. And how are people going to feel when they leave? Uh, I am happy to say that I have no idea. Love that. <laughs> Jay, I'm going to drag my depressed ass into this conversation and ask one final question, if that's okay. How do you yeah. motivate yourself to make community films without a budget and essentially no support? What actually, like ignites the fire um that's a great question because i think often my fire is not as ignited as it should be but i think one thing that really helps is going to see movies that are very uninspiring at the cinema <laughs> i love <laughs> that attitude like it's, a, it's reactionary filmmaking of different you hate everything you see so you go make something better yeah kind of. <laughs>
We I can relate. It. We I love can it. relate. We can all relate. That's what it's all about. <laughs> Thank you so much for speaking with us, Jade. I'm so excited to Thank see you. the movie. I'll be there. Oh, cool. See you there. Thanks so much, guys. And there you have it. Where the Platypuses Live is the debut film from Jade Valiantis, who's going to be, pre- which is going to be premiered rather, at Palace Verona on Thursday night. Tickets are five bucks. We're going to pop some details up at fbiradio.com slash program. Z, Jen, Andre, love you both. Thanks so much for popping by. You can listen back to movies, 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 wherever you get your podcasts from. We're going to dip into Hickory Dickory by Chica. This one needs a language warning. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.